Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. Welcome on to a probably won't make it to all 15, but we will make it to 60 episode talking about the Eastern Conference here on Dunked On and a lot going on here post trade trade deadline. Teams are kind of settling in. We've got some trends developing for some of these teams. Also, we're applicable. We're going to try to focus on trade deadline acquisitions for some of these teams, how those guys are fitting in, how they're being used, how they're playing. So that will be a focus. Let us begin, Mr. LaRue, with the 34 and 28 Indiana Pacers. Let's do it. The Pacers are 34 and 28 on the season. Uh, they're 10 and 10 since the last 1560. I think that might be the last one in this document because we have we have another one for the mailbags. Anyway, uh, positive net rating plus 0.6, but that's 15th in the NBA because there are you know stronger teams at the top than there are at the bottom. Third in offensive rating, 27. So. In defensive ratings, that's third and fourth from the bottom. But BPI projects, ESPN's BPI projects the rap, the Pacers to finish with a 44 and 38 record. That would be eighth in the East and gives them a very strong 84% chance of making the playoffs. And we are getting closer to it. But for a team that is projected to be in the play-in, to have an 84% chance of making the playoffs is impressive. Yeah, I think part of that is just that they're projected to be neck and neck with some of those other teams. So they, sure. by no means is it assured that they won't just get a top six seed. Uh, and then, of course, if you're seven or eight, you still have a pretty darn good chance out of the play-in as well. I'm going to start with Tyrese Halliburton. We talked about how Tyrese was just absolutely dominant before that hamstring injury that occurs January 7th against Boston. He misses, I believe, 10 of 11 games after that, tries to come back in Portland. It doesn't look very good. And before the injury, and some of these numbers were absolutely insane for Tyrese Halliburton. 34 minutes a game, 125.5 offensive rating when he played, plus 6.6 net rating. 24 points a game, 40% from three on 8.6 attempts per game, and 12.7 assists versus only 2.6 turnovers per game during that period. From a shooting standpoint, Tyrese Halliburton was shooting 66% in the restricted area, 58% on floaters, 49% for mid-range, and an absolutely stalling percentage on three-pointers, as mentioned. Since then, though, Danny really has fallen off in just about every area. He missed the had that one game where he came back. Then he was on that 20 minutes or so limit for four or five games after that. Noted in some of the games that we saw him, even as they won against New Orleans earlier in the week when we talked about it, that he just doesn't seem to have the same explosion. What does it look like since that fateful injury for him? I mean, even the advanced stats look pretty pedestrian. So he's playing 28 minutes per game on average average in the 17 contests since he returned from injury and so you brought up that like 125 offensive rating 
that's down below a 117, 116.7. And yeah. and this is, you know, they have Pascal Siak now. They're supposed to have another mm-hmm. creator. Like in theory, they should be better. Uh, they should have more talent around him. And then Halliburton is below average true shooting, 54.5 so far in the in that stretch of time. And of course, he was well, well above that. You talked about the ridiculous three-point shooting. That is now down to... Yeah, it's in the low 30s, basically. He's, yeah, it's it's 32% overall. And then you brought up yeah. the restricted area finishing. And that's down, you know, that's down to 59 and a half. So it's just like a lot of, well, you could call it a mix of regression to the mean and just, you know, coming back from an injury. Yeah, he is shooting very well on true mid-rangers. But that floater game, which was so devastating, hasn't been getting in the paint as much, I would say, overall. He's only taking about two floaters per game in that period. Less than two floaters per game. He's made 37% of them. So and just his overall usage as well has been done. You'd expect that maybe a little bit more Siakam, but they are staggering those guys a little bit. And he just is not, you, you would think for a lot of times it's like, oh, well, you're on a minutes limit. You're going to come in and you're actually going to have more usage, right? Like Joel Embiid back when he was first starting his career or Wembenyama this year. But mm-hmm. it really, I mean, I, I've never had like a lingering hamstring injury. Like that's the sort of thing where, you know, James Harden talked about how long it can take to come back from that. You know, I always felt like, okay, it's healed and then you come back and play but it seems like he you know is just continuing to try to play on it and it's just not 100 maybe some of it's just bad luck i mean he was so on fire their offense was so ridiculous maybe there's some regression built in there but you know pascal siakam uh, by contrast I, I think he's been everything that they could have hoped for you know he's 60 percent from two is as a pacer is the highest basically since he became a, a guy who was more than just a role player he's shooting 40 percent for three only three three and a half for 36 so that's about the same volume he was taken in toronto one thing that is a concern is his free throws are down about 30 percent or so in terms of mm-hmm. the number he's taking only hitting 66 percent. he's had some foibles with free throws remember that awful game in the play and loss to chicago last year for example well and and siakam one thought you might have is that oh well he has the ball in his hands a lot less to do that but in terms of like role within the offense his basketball reference usage his basketball reference assist percentage those are all relatively similar they are lower but they're not nearly as big a drop as the free throw attempt rate is yeah and where has he been more effective uh really in the post you know going against mismatches having more pick and roll guards more spacing i think uh, that that's helped him somewhat as a pick and roll ball handler he hasn't done a ton of it but he's been absolutely devastating there that's the biggest difference where 1.3 points per possession as a pick and roll ball handler damn 37 possessions in in Indy, 87 possessions in that in Toronto. And I think a big part of that, Danny, is just that he can get to more pick and rolls because he just is has more different kinds of guys that he can interact with. You know, if it's a, if he's going against Miles Turner, going with Miles Turner, then Miles Turner can space out, give him more room. If the team wants to switch the center onto Pascal, well, then he can go ahead and attack the center in that circumstance. Also, it's a space for, yeah, it's a space for, and some of the time, you know, Siakam plays, of course, significant minutes when, when Halburn's not out there, but you can be a little bit more judicious with it. Not only so you have better surrounding talent, but also it's like, okay, well, you don't need Siakam to do this every play. His um, proportion is actually about the same as Toronto, but you can, you know, pick your spots, make sure it's more of an advantage matchup. Yeah, and Siakam uh, was uh, efficient again today. Aaron Neesmith is back from his ankle injury. He struggled, though 
in their loss at San Antonio, in which they were six of 20, or I'm sorry, six of 30, three as a team. And uh, Victor Wembanyama had six blocks. He really caused some problems for them. On the interior, uh, Halliburton was four of 16 after he went scoreless in their previous game at New Orleans. They had a home and home against New Orleans. And then Miles Turner started to fall off with his three-pointer. He's down in the low 30s now, about 33%. He'll get him up still, but that's a little bit different. It was uh, TJ McConnell who kept him in it with 13 of 15 (laughs) from the field, probably matching up uh, a lot with some of those Spurs bench guys. Uh, Ben Shepard has been in the rotation up until recently with the return of Neesmith. Uh, He got a DNP. Doug McDermott, also remember, came over from the aforementioned Spurs. He's hurt as well with this calf issue he's played six games only 11 minutes a game and he had 38 percent true shooting during that period ben shepherd you know i don't i thought he was able to get out there and not kill them you know in the dallas game he survived defensively as they had a very good I, you know i was really excited about where they're at 34 and 26 they had just beaten new orleans and dallas at home and then they put up these two absolute stinkers over the weekend with halbert and just looking miserable uh so shepherd recall drafted 26th overall uh out of dang remember? belmont i believe it is belmont uh and six five six eight wing measured in a, a wingspan i should say measured in at 195 pounds at the combine he's a 55 percent true shooting 13 usage in basketball reference but he at least never turns it over operating almost entirely as a spot-up guy and he's been shooting much better from the corners 40.5 percent and that is nearly half of his three-point attempts which is a lot for a small guard that kind of has a reputation as a shooter but at least he's making those above the break he hasn't looked comfortable i would say that he shoots a jump shot he also kind of has a little bit of a hitch in his shot like those type of guys it can take him a little while to adjust to the full length three-point line and i think he's looked just more comfortable as i watched the film getting his shot off more quickly from the corners and obviously that's gone in he's been run 30 percent on above the break threes looking at seth's stat- that's his shot quality on threes expected is 38%. Anytime you see someone in the high 37 into 38%, that basically it means they're getting some of the most wide open threes in the league. And again, this is like a shooting guard. You wouldn't necessarily expect to see that, but he's largely just playing a pure spot up role. 83% of Shepard's three pointers are uncontested and he has not yet made an off the dribble three. And given his stature, I noted that he's held up a little bit better defensively than I thought he would. But given his stature, he probably is going to just need to be like a ridiculous three-point bomber because his inside the arc game hasn't developed much yet you know i don't see him being a guy who's gonna like run pick and roll but he kind of needs to either be able to do that do a little more off the dribble or just be like a total bomber to be more than sort of like a fourth guard material and they have survived with him on the court right they're 1.5 net rating for a rookie that's not bad although he is an older rookie Uh, another problem with him though is finishing at the basket only four 44% on contested finishes. And again, this isn't like he's going against the set defense to, right? I mean, not all contests are created equal. When you compare, you know, if LaMelo Ball is in that same range compared to him, LaMelo Ball is taking a lot more shots to the basket. He's usually the guy initiating, going and pick and roll against a set defense. Whereas Shepard, if he's getting to the basket, yeah, it's technically has a guy within five feet, but he also probably got a nice little runway, uh, the defense uh, attacking a defense that wasn't set. So that's a poor number for him. 
him. So I this I can't say other than the fact that he like hasn't been destroyed defensively and he's largely playing in kind of bench units. Even played some with McDermott uh, as well in a recent game. So I still the fact that he's defended a little bit better makes me feel a little bit better about him. Hopefully his shot can come along above the break. I mean that's the number one thing that he's going to need to be able to do is just make that shot more consistently. But if you're talking about him being like an actual plus as a rotation guy at his age, you know. It's been kind of about what was expected. I just, I kind of started off seeing him and suddenly being like, okay, what is like, what is the scenario for this guy? And I still struggle to see that a little bit. Again, you know, this guy's dropped it late in the first round. So if he's out there not killing you, you don't feel bad about it. But I'm just kind of like, what is the big skill for him that we should get excited about that question hasn't been answered it hasn't been but i do think that there are enough positives that year one to year two could be very illuminating and and if Shepard can especially now that they traded buddy healed if he can be a positive player for them there is a clear place for him in their rotation i want to also mention we'll have a a few stats from john schumann of nba.com he did his final i believe final for the regular season kind of schedule-based piece, which I think could be really useful to kind of understand where things might go. And so there's good news and bad news when it comes to the Pacers. The good news is they only have two remaining back-to-backs, which is very low for the remaining season. And that's good for the Pacers because they have the largest differential between when they're rested and when they're back-to-back. So that's good for them. The bad news is 13 of their remaining 22 games, this was, I think this was before the weekend, are on the road. So that's a lot of road games, but at least they're not doing it back to back man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash cap space easier slash cap space we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash cap space this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us Man, I just love 
American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing, like their premium Slub Crew tee, the No BS High Rise Pant, the Slim Roughneck Pant, featured in Giant Magazine, Issue 2. Every American Giant piece is made in America and designed to last no exceptions, and it provides year-round comfort. So find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use that finisher code CAPSPACE at checkout. Easy remember, we talk about CAPSPACE all the time here on the program. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know you came from us. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high-quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. Things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Well, this last few days saw an epic battle. Two games at the bottom of the East play in between the Hawks and the Nets. Let's start with Atlanta 26 and 34. They lost both of those games they to did. the Brooklyn Nets. Eight and 10 since we last checked in. Of course, they have been without Trey Young. Negative 1.7 net rating, 20th in the NBA. They've dropped now to 11th on offense, 26th on defense. But BPI still likes him for the 10th seed. I think BPI does not adjust for player absences, however, only giving the Hawks a 10% chance at the playoffs. However, and 
they have now played they're in a stretch now beginning on thursday where they played nine of 11 on the road and they then lost the second game of that set in brooklyn so they were up four on brooklyn in the final play in spot now that's down to a two game lead and the uh, the nets of course gleaned the tiebreaker Mm -hmm. there and uh what did you take away from watching that one? It was a fascinating game in part because both teams had significant playmakers out. So Trey Young, of course, we know dealing dealing with his issue, but then also Cam Thomas is still out for the Nets. And so that meant that the ball was in the hands of some of the, you know, not as not as frequently leaned on players. So like Cam Johnson had more on ball possessions in this one than he usually does. And a, a few of the I mean, we beyond even just like seeing Kobe Bufkin in the rotation and everything else like that. So I was surprised that the Hawks offense looked pretty good. It looked it looked pretty frisky in the first half. And um, this was so this is a game that I watched after the fact. So I knew the result, but I didn't know how we got there. And all I knew was the score. And in the first half, I thought the ha- the Hawks did a really nice job of generating good looks. They they're starting Dejounte Murray and Bogdan Bogdanovich, and then trying to have one of them on the floor most of the time. They did, I believe, the entire first half, and then had some Kobe Bufkin in the second half. And they were generating good looks. I mean, there were some stretches where DeJounte Murray got some mid-rangers, including at some at Mikhail Bridges' expense. And then Bogdanovich, actually, I thought he shot, he was three of eight from three. There were a couple more that absolutely could have gone into, just didn't fall. I mean, you don't expect everything like that. And then there was a big stretch for DeAndre Hunter, who actually had, I think it was two or three threes in a row, but one of them got got ruled out because he stepped out of bounds right before he took the shot. So, like you know, there were some moments that looked really good for their offense. And it seemed surprising to me just because, like, I, I thought that the Nets would be better defensively. It's something we've talked about over the course of the year. And the Nets offense was pretty flat until a stretch where Mikael Bridges started drilling his three-pointer. And he had some nice pull-up threes, ended up 5 of 10 from three on his way to 38 points on 26 shots. And if you want to count it this way, 28 shooting possessions. So an extremely efficient night from him, also only two turnovers. Then that all turned pretty aggressively, pretty dramatically in the third quarter. And so it, it the, the Nets had a deficit for most of the first half, but then they tied it on the second to last possession of the first half. And so it was, you know, close game. I think it was two points going into the third quarter. And then at that point, it went to a, it was a 30 to 18 third quarter in favor of the Nets. They took it from a small deficit to a pretty comfortable lead, which they then absolutely never got close to relinquishing in the in the fourth quarter. And so I was interested in like, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I'm kind of watching it as, as things are going on. I'm like, well, what changed? And part of it is, as you would as you would expect, the Hawks three point shooting went a little bit colder. They they were respectable, but not fantastic. 11 to 34 in the game. And then in that third quarter, though, they were one of six. And a couple of those absolutely could have gone in. Bogdanovich missed two. At least one of those was a really good look. But then I criticized the Nets defense in the first half. Individually and collectively, I thought they did a much, much better job in the second half. And the most impressive stretch of that was Nick Claxton. So there was a sequence in the middle of the third where Claxton got a block on Bogdanovich right before it hit the glass and then basically comes back down. Basically, the ball kind of circulates around and Claxton gets him again, but they ruled it a goaltend. I believe it was a goaltend, but it was a close call. And then the next trip down, he 
absolutely annihilates Jalen Johnson on a on a finish for the best play best play of the game to me. And I cracked up because right after that, Claxton got subbed out, but it was just his scheduled rest. It wasn't like, oh, this guy did something good. Let's take him out. And between those blocks, they ended up being credited with six block shots in just the third quarter. And then also had a couple, uh, one or two steals, but then had some other turnovers and forced some other turnovers. So basically it was like the Nets kind of turning it on and they, they were able to get the defense there. And the Hawks, both due to the misses that they had and due to the limited personnel, they just couldn't really get back in the game from that point. Yeah, you know, I've been kind of critical of Mikhail Bridges' defense lately. What did you make uh, of that in this game? It was legit weak in the first half. I th- he had the assignment on DeJounte Murray a fair amount. And there were a couple plays where Murray just cooked it. Or like, there was one where Murray got past Bridges. Bridges tried to recover, then over-recovered and gave up a wide-open mid-ranger. A couple other ones where just just wasn't quite wasn't quite there. Um, gave up gave up some. He did some overhelping when he at that one point he was off ball and was guarding DeAndre Hunter. And I talked about that sequence where Hunter made a couple threes. Two of those were because Mikael Bridges overhelped. Like he wasn't even really close to affecting the action and conceded wide open threes. And that's always frustrating. But then he was much better in the third quarter. That that swing third quarter. There was one play where Bridges, instead of conceding the mid-range jumper, he stayed with DeJounte Murray. Murray's like kind of trying to figure out something else to do and then try, just kind of gives up, does the does the pull-up mid-ranger, and then Bridges just blocks him. It's one of the six blocks they had in the third. And that was a huge factor. I mean, DeJounte Murray in that third quarter, he was had three points on one of five from the field, and, and basically the Hawks just didn't have another way to go because they're they're out Trey Young, obviously. And so I thought that, you know, bad first half, good third quarter was absolutely enough in this one. And and it was it was also encouraging because it was a third quarter where Bridges his urgency and defensively and just like the the things he was doing were reminded me of Suns Mikael Bridges. It wasn't like it was, you know, like tricks or anything like that. It was just like staying in front of your guy, not conceding many good looks. And so that was that was better than I've seen from him most of the time this year. Yeah, and Bridges also uh, was dominant offensively and had uh, 1.4 points per possession when he finished a play out of pick and roll, six of Oof. nine at the rim in this game. And the Hawks uh, didn't exactly force him to make passes. They only forced him to make three passes out of pick and roll that led to shots. So as DeAndre Hunter had his moment shooting four six from downtown, but they just didn't really have anyone uh, that was going to be able to guard Mikhail Bridges particularly well in this one. Any other takeaways? Uh, I mean, Kobe Bufkin is starting to play a little bit. Did you have any observations uh, on him? I haven't checked in on a Hawks game since he entered the rotation yet. Wasn't super impressive to me. I thought, you know, so he mostly played once the game was getting out of hand. So don't want to read too much into the sample there. But Bufkin, not a player that we watched film on. So it was like, you know, kind of getting a sense with it. We did see him, of course, at Summer League. And he's not as explosive as an athlete with the ball in his hands as I'd hoped. So he's not like creating a lot of separation. And in this one, the shot wasn't really falling one of five from the field. Most of those were actually twos rather than threes. Had a couple of, you know, I would say intuitive passes, not genius passes, but still like making the right read and doing that. And so 
I I didn't he didn't pop to me and you, you of course love to see that for somebody who was drafted as high as Buffkin was but he you know like some of the sh- like I thought his shot selection was most in especially in the third was like mostly okay so didn't wow me but also like wasn't horrifyingly bad other than just missing some shots he would you would hope he would normally make the one play that was horrifying though I'm not sure it was Buffkin's fault. He threw up a lob. So it was a play where there were two hawks on one, basically two hawks on one side of the rim. And he threw a lob that, you know, so we talk sometimes about how you're not sure if it's a lob or a floater. He did a lob, but neither of the guys was sure who it was to. So they both jumped and both missed it. It was pretty funny that <laughs> that's not the sort of thing that happens very often. So I, I don't know whether that was Buffkin's fault or whether that was the teammate's fault for kind of not communicating that. I personally believe either one of them could have finished it. But, you know, it, it was funny and it was it was a little bit weird. Um, actually, do you want to do the net stats before I forgot? Yeah, yeah. The Nets are 24 and 36, uh, as mentioned. Now two games behind the Hawks for 10th, but have the tiebreaker in hand. 7 and 11 in their last 18 games. They have a negative 2.0 net rating. I imagine we would have done an East 15 and 16. I I think it was a mailbag, so it was in a different... Ah, yes. Okay, well, mailbags don't count. Negative uh, 2.0 net rating, 22nd, 21st on offense, 18th on defense. And yeah, they project right now to still finish one game behind the Hawks at 11, a uh, 5% chance of the playoffs for them. Uh, shall we shift to... Well, actually, I just want to do a little other thing on the Hawks. I'm not going to go through all the research I did, but the Hawks are currently dead last in both location effect, opponent of location effective vehicle percentage and actual. And so I'm like, well, that's like, how is that happening? They're giving up too many shots at the rim and they're going in a fair amount. They're not like bottom in both, but they're bottom in one and they're you know, like below average in the other. So they're giving up a lot of points around the basket. They're giving up the third most corner threes in the NBA. And um, they're also pretty terrible in transition defense. I, I think fourth highest opponent transition frequency and a 131 offensive rating on the break, which actually isn't horrendous, but it's, you know, well below average. And so the, they've actually, remember, I was fixated on this with the Bulls. The, the Hawks actually, not only are they worse than the Bulls in terms of opponent effect, location effective field goal percentage, but the Haw- Hawks opponents only take 26% of their shots as twos outside of four feet. That's the second lowest in the league. And just 7% as long twos, which is the lowest in the league. So there are some weird things like Hawks opponents on that small sample size of long twos are shooting 45.5%, but the shot mix is significantly less healthy than you would expect. And yes, they have some limited defenders in the rotation, but they are playing credible bigs a large portion of the game. And weirdly enough, they're defending much better in the half court and in the half court and then somewhat overall when they have someone typically Bruno Fernando that isn't Capella or Kongwu at center. But it, that is concerning for the Hawks when you consider that they, you know, they brought in Quinn Snyder. They're generally playing credible defensive centers to be last in both. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, 
Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Now let's get to Boston because they are just absolutely throttling the league right now. They most certainly are. 48 and 12, a light 16 and 2 in their last 18 games, plus 11.5 net rating. Yes, that is plus 11.5, and we're this deep in the season, 60 games in. First in offense, second in defense, so close to the double number ones. And Boston is running away not only with the East, but probably with the best record in basketball, 67 and 15. They are not missing the playoffs. And great Schumann stat. Celtics currently have the most efficient offense in the league history that doesn't scale to the, the to the year in question. And they also have the league's easiest remaining schedule in regard to opposing opponent defenses, which is pretty pretty ridiculous. We could end up seeing a wild number here. And Schumann pulled that before they put an absolute crushing on the Golden State Warriors on an ABC game. They won, you know, 140 to 88. A 61-17 to 17 run after the game was tied at 21. And we'll get into some of these crazy stats uh, about them here momentarily. But uh, I thought it was very interesting. Like Golden State, okay, Steph Curry played. He had this knee issue. They said they came up with this idea 15 minutes before they left the locker room. Uh, and they had already been, this was their third and four nights. They were three and oh on the trip. Porzingis didn't play. So maybe you would think they had a chance to get on this. Porzingis didn't play in either matchup against Golden State, but they basically came up with this strategy that they're going to let Jalen Brown just shoot as many three pointers as he wanted to. And it's tied at 21. He makes three threes in a row where he's not being guarded at all. And then the Celtics were off and running. Warriors don't score for like the last six minutes of the first quarter. And I thought that was kind of interesting, though. Again, not that the Warriors, like, I'm sure they didn't have any kind of a practice on their day off after getting in Toronto at 7 a.m., etc. That they're just like, oh, let's fucking let's try this. But what is your strategy? Let's say Porzingis is actually available. What is your strategy to defend the Boston starting lineup if you're just, you know, like a normal team defense? Any defense, really. I mean, there isn't, uh, other than Minnesota, you know, there isn't another defense I see where I'm just like, oh, they can shut down Boston potentially just because they have so many amazing athletes and stuff. And what would you do, Danny? Like, who who are you helping off of? Like, are you switching? What's the idea, you think? I think switching with not a ton of doubling, but try to have the doubling be random, kind of have it be some, because like one of the things that I'm not a big fan of with the Celtics starting group is like their ability to react. And so maybe even throw out some straight up weird stuff. Like I'm not saying like a box and one is a good strategy, but just like, do they know how to attack that something in that respect? Putting it's not the greatest thing. Putting a smaller guy on Porzingis can at times like if, if then if you're going to more of a switchy system, that can be OK. He's gotten better at, at those sorts of matchups, just like Dirk did throughout his career. So, I mean, there aren't any great ones. I mean, if you're helping off as somebody to me, it's Drew and I'm still not all the way there. Like, is he going to be? I mean, even- Drew all day. Like I watched most of that Dallas game like he hit these two corner threes 
He's shooting 56% on corner threes this season Mm -hmm. and 44% from three overall. His two point game hasn't been as effective, but like the two corner threes that he hit, he was like basically like sprinting into the corner, like shooting a fadeaway behind the backboard, just knocks it down. I mean, they, they had a ridiculous run in that Dallas game too. When you thought Dallas (laughs) keep up with them and then, uh, no, they couldn't, they put up 138 in that game. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what the answer, unless you have just like incredible, versatility but every single player that they play can shoot you know that is, unless you're getting into like the coronet underbelly who's probably not going to play that much in the playoffs and so what do you do in that case right you might be like okay well let's try to just like defend jason tatum one-on-one well all right so he can just go run a pick and roll with christos porzingis right like i don't trust jason tatum as like an amazing iso guy or Jalen brown is an amazing iso guy so if you you try to just deal with those matchups i mean try to make Jalen brown dribble with his left hand that if you can make it happen <laughs> that's useful yeah he's powerless without the glove um but yeah i, th- I think it's just there isn't a strategy that really comes to mind for me unless you just have you know five guys who can all switch across a bunch of positions with they're not and particularly now Porzingis's ability to post up I mean I think one of the things I would probably try to get into a lot is pressuring full court sure just like they don't have like one kind of blow by ball handler so just any amount of time you can take time off the clock then maybe I try to get into a switch make every catch really tough try to if Porzingis is going to post up try to make him do it on the side of the floor then maybe you send a double team pretty early and then hopefully get in rotation and but you could it's easier to do that I think when you're sending a double team on the side of the floor than having to send it you know to Porzingis like posting up at the nail or pretty deep post position but I, I think a lot of it comes down to just getting physical with them bleeding the shot clock like try to let them not get into their offense early so that you can double team pretty quickly and hopefully like their only mediocre passing isn't going to be able to beat that but of course they also defend really well uh jared weiss wrote a great piece about how joe missoula really is focused on the transition between offense and defense and vice versa because he's a big soccer fan and so they rate well in all of those transition categories on both ends so and and they do while they don't have like that one guy who's going to just push it down your throat necessarily all of their guys can bring it basically other than poor and Horford so they can get a lot of grab and go transition they spread the floor and transition they're they're gonna be really difficult to stop I mean they you kind of gotta hope they're gonna have a cold shooting night four out of seven and even then their defense can keep them in games so here we go they've won 11 straight they've a plus 23 net net rating in non-garbage time in those games They've now won three games by 50 plus. I believe that's a a league record I read. It's also notable that this back-to-back throttlings of Golden State and Dallas at home occurred during the Sloan weekend. So Mm -hmm. all of the data nerds got to just really enjoy themselves as uh, the net rating just spun out of control. Maybe we're discussing them with a high watermark of their season, you would think, as they've won 11 straight. But as you noted, they have an easy remaining schedule, at least in terms of opposing defenses. So don't, don't look. I have a few of these written down here. But can you name the teams this century that had double-digit net ratings? And let's recall, like, their, their raw net rating, we, we do clean the glass here for 11.5, their raw net rating is plus 11.8. 
mm. which is some some teams is, just could actually have a worse raw one, just depending on garbage. Time. I'm sorry, sorry. Plus eleven point six. Excuse me. They're plus eleven point six. Uh, so pretty much the same as they're cleaning the glass. So you want to try to name some of the teams this century that were plus double digits. You know, pace so, adjusted, obviously. I know that the year Kawhi got pachulia both the Warriors, and I believe that was 14-15, both the Warriors and the Spurs were. Um, uh, so you're close there. It was The Pachulia year was 17. The Spurs were only a plus 8 that year. But they were actually had a better raw net rating than the 73 win Warriors in oh, Okay, that was that was so that that Spurs team, that Warriors team. I no don't team has done it since then. Yeah, and I don't uh, believe other than that the, the seventeen Warriors. The seventeen Warriors uh, did do it, uh, but this this team actually is point uh, two points one hundred better right now than that seventeen Warriors team, which was a sixty seven and fifteen team. I don't believe that the Heat did it. I think that was part of the story was that they never kind of put together a full season. That was that is correct. They, that was they did there. Not ever do it. I think the Spurs actually did it earlier in the century. Maybe I wouldn't. I'm not great on the years of the this. Spurs like Spurs did not ever do it. Wow. Other than the time we already discussed. Yes. Other than that time, you have to mm. go back to the 2008 Boston Celtics. Celtics. Who were okay. 66 and 16 plus 10.8 net rating. And then NBA.com first started doing uh, enough play by play to do possession official possession points per possession in 96 97 so the year after the bulls won 72 they were 69 13 that year and were plus 11.8 that's the only team in the since 96 97 that has a better net rating than the celtics team uh basketball reference does their srs and that is a simple rating system that adjusts for schedule and stuff the 71 bucks and basically it's just kind of points per hundred possession like schedule and competition adjusted 71 bucks were 11.9 72 bulls 11.8 72 lakers 11.7 17 warriors 11.4 24 boston 10.7 uh equal to 72 milwaukee which actually is the only one of these teams that didn't win the title 97 chicago and ahead of 2016 golden state and 2016 san antonio so all of these teams other than 72 Milwaukee in that top seven won the championship and 72 Milwaukee obviously lost to 72 Lakers in the West finals and all these teams other than that Milwaukee team won 67 or more games that's what BPI projects this Boston team to get to so they're projecting them to go 19 and three the rest of the way I would take the under on that just due to the fact that they're going to have absolutely nothing to play for in all likelihood and they have a and, lot of and, and if they pull some of their best players there there are some lineups that can lose some games yeah and also worth noting right now they are 3.6 points per 100 better than second place okc 5.0 points per 100 better than third place minnesota in terms of net rating in the nba right now uh so that that is a pretty pretty big number to be 3.6 per 100 better than the second best team yeah very very interesting uh how good this team is going to be i mean we kind of thought that we're done with this right (laughs) and we're done with like really good teams right even like the 65 win houston team that team was a plus eight 19 20 bucks like they were kind of on pace me for 70 wins they fell off right before the bubble obviously uh but you know they weren't double digit net rating team the jazz and 20 were kind of headed there they then donovan mitchell missed a bunch of time they finished with a 9.0 net rating but that was also the covid year it seemed like they were kind of hacking the the regular season but we and then you go back you know these teams that are winning you know we haven't had teams that are really like much above seven for these last few years other 
than those teams that I mentioned. And this Boston team is just going absolutely insane. And they're doing it against, like, they're blowing out, like, good teams, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're not just running it up like the way Philly was earlier in the year against, like, the real weak sisters of the poor. You want to talk about next? Let's go to the Bulls, in part because you and I are going to be broadcasting Bulls Kings on Monday for a week pass. uh, Nine p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Pacific, and you can do their stats. 28 and 32, 3 and 4 since we last checked in on them. Negative 1.9 net rating is 21st in the NBA. Got a couple game lead on the Hawks for that uh, The in 10th. Bulls are projected to finish 9th right now. They're 22nd on offense, 17th on defense, project for 38 wins. So they're projected to finish four games ahead of the Hawks, five ahead of Brooklyn, despite their myriad injuries they seem to be pretty secure for the plan but only a 14 percent chance of making the playoffs particularly i think not only because they're not gonna in all likelihood get close to the eighth seed because that's like teams that are like good and over 500 but then you consider the team quality there as well and, and that you chances. have to win two games the latter yeah. of which would be on the road yeah but uh the reinsdorfs uh, are slated to get a postseason home game as of right now mm-hmm. unfortunately we will not be seeing patrick williams uh, had this fracture uh or stress reaction i should say in his foot so what do you do this year how do, what do we make of him going into his restricted free agency where he will have a 12 million dollar qualifying offer yeah it's an it's an unfortunate to an extent tradition with dunked on but i like to do player breakdowns when they're going to have an extended absence because we know the stats aren't going to change and everything else and so for Patrick Williams, the one of the unfortunate things is that from an offense perspective, 23-24 is actually the lowest efficiency season of his career so far. 55% true shooting on a career high 16.6 usage. Now, 16.6 is is low. Like, and it's higher than the 14 he had his rookie year, but still low. And what I found fascinating is one of the things you might think is that, well, you know, you and I were both really skeptical of Patrick Williams shooting. He had 39% on threes his rookie season. It was a super low attempt rate, and it was not tied in with what he did in college. Williams has largely held firm on that. He shot 39% or better every season, and his attempt rate, still not high, but it went from 2.5 to 4.5 over the last few years. So still low, not as low. And just for a point of reference, some other guys who are low usage players who have a three-point rate around that, Herb Jones, Najee Marshall, Derek Jones Jr., Rui Hashimura, KCP. So, like, you know, they're limited players, but they they can take the threes. A lot of those guys are actually pretty high percentage as well. They take pretty good ones. And so, okay, well, low sufficiency season, still shooting well from three, actually shooting more of them from four. So it's not that. And Patrick Williams, his free throw rate, his free throw attempt rate is not great, but it's the same largely as it was. You know, 2.3 is rookie year, hovering around two this year and last. That is a concern because it's incredibly hard to build a consistent offensive foundation if you're not getting to the line, especially if you're a low usage three point shooter, if you're making him a good rate. So instead, the story here, which is fascinating when you consider Patrick Williams' physical gifts, is an erosion from two point range. He, you know, was. Around 50%, just over and just under his first two healthy years in the league, he missed so much time, His actually his second year. But down to 47% this year. And the story for Patrick Williams in terms of his offense is not that his shot locations are significantly worse than before. You know, a little less around the basket. Um, but he went from 67% around the basket to 57% this year. 
without really changing the proportion of his shots that are dunks. So rim finishing is a huge problem here. And, you know, a decrease from floater range as well. But that, you know, that, that's not a ton of his attempts, so it's not really there. So the bad news for Williams is that his he's still a low-usage offensive player, and he doesn't really have that efficiency foundation. So that, that's not great, and that will definitely be a challenge for him in terms of cultivating a market as a restricted free agent, even before he get into that he's going to be coming off this injury. The interesting thing is that estimated plus-minus, and um, I believe Raptor has this, I, I didn't have that set accessible, but I think I saw this at some point last year. Like, they're much higher on his defense now than they were before. So he was a negative in, EP, in DEPM his first two years. Then has moved into being a solid positive. Actually, you know, kind of in the range of Lou Dort, DFS, Scotty Barnes. So, like, not the best defenders in the league where you're not in the, like, OG Ananobi, Aaron Gordon territory, but, like, a respectable group of guys. And if you believe that, like, his Williams' steal rate is about the same as it was, you know, a little bit below 2%. Block rate has gone up to 3 so it is some of it is more contextual than that. But if you believe that Patrick Williams, you know, has good positional size, is a Lou Dort DFS level defensive player and then is a credible shooter, maybe you think that attempt rate can go up, then you could be sold on him as like a kind of a, a potential starter who may have a little bit more upside. The problem is restricted free agency is all about falling in love. And I wonder, like, I think he's going to get more money than some other guys. Like, I, I have a piece that I'm working on for The Athletic about this, about, like, that that he might get more money than some of the other guys who have had more of a track record. But Yeah, well, the, the Chicago uh, inertias uh, should... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can kind of, kind of, although I will say, uh, restricted free agency was very kind of the Bulls with the Kobe White and Desunmu contract, so... It was. Maybe, and, and they also... They they elected not to extend him, which looked like a a pretty good deal. I, I think that's maybe the one thing that they've managed well contractually of late. Is and, and they've needed to do that to stay under, player. considering how much they paid, you know, like Vooch and some and Levine, of course, is on a huge contract. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's the other thing, right? Is that there's just there's going to be some pressure there, uh, and they can only offer a certain amount, which gives them a little bit of cover, and maybe that be the Bulls' long term plans. Now, who knows? Maybe De- Demar Derozan just won't be back, you know, or maybe there'll be a sign and trade there, or maybe they'll find move off of Levine you know, I, I, there has to be some kind of change you would think <laughs> no there doesn't but they're probably they're hopefully um, well I mean I yeah DeMar DeRozan might just decide he wants to go play for a good team we'll see see what he wants to do uh yeah in terms of the play types for Patrick Williams yeah it's basically about what you would expect right like when it's he's an off-ball guy I think it's interesting that he's uh 15 percent of his possessions have come as a pick and roll ball that are again out of a pretty small pie overall and he hasn't been he's 30 out of 67 in those circumstances so that's maybe the one thing that makes you a little more interested this is i thought this is indicative though of his finishing struggles cuts right that's ba- like plays where you're going to get right to the basket and try and finish 19th percentile on cuts and 14 of 24 on those plays that's just like you'd hope that a guy with this purported athleticism is just going to like completely crush those dunks but if you compare him to a Kaminga and Aaron Gordon who who you brought up you know some of these guys who in theory have sort of that combo forward ideal physical profile and Patrick Williams 
just doesn't have that. He doesn't pop off the ground the way those guys do. He doesn't generate shots at the bat. Like Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Kaminga just, you know, are going to walk into 15 points a game most of the time, even earlier in their career with Gordon, because they just, like, they're open under the rim. Guys throw them alley-oops. Like, what, what is, like, the last big alley-oop dunk highlight for Patrick Williams? You know, you, so that that was always the thing that gave me some pause on him. I, I'll continue to, uh, maybe I shouldn't continue to ban the draw. I'll continue to believe it. However... Mm-hmm. The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk Detroit here. Let's do it. Pistons are 9-51 and on the season. As we discussed briefly on the pod, they are not only not going to have the worst record in history, they do not currently have the worst record in the Eastern Conference. Mm. Um, there may be a Watfo about that. 1-7 um, since last fifteen sixty. Negative 10 net rating, that magic number that we've been talking about a lot this year, uh, that's 28th. That Yes, that means there are two teams that are still below negative 10. 26th on offense, 29th on defense. And BPI, you know, projects them to win seven more games the rest of the year to go 16 and 66 overall. And yeah, we know they're not making the playoffs. Yeah, we talked about them pretty extensively earlier last week, but I do want to catch up on some of their newcomers. Quentin Grimes, two shooting percentage in the 30s. He's four of 19 on threes overall, only played four games because he was coming back from the sprained knee. Basically, every three-pointer he's made as a piston, I believe, is in that fourth quarter against the Knicks when he had 14 <laughs> points. He made either three or four of those uh, four three-point makes there. So he just hasn't had the jumper going from outside, but he's had the three-point attempt right up pretty well. Uh, pretty small sample, nothing really to jump in on there, although he, he has been coming off the bench. Evan Fournier, what has he been doing with the Detroit Pistons, Danny? Just uh, overall numbers where he's been coming off the bench uh, and basically been their number one option on these all bench units, which have uh, aroused the ire of many. Playing 18 minutes a game, seven games, uh, eight points, two and a half rebounds. And for those who like advanced stats, 62% true shooting on 18 usage. So that usage rate is is actually a little bit lower and, and his assist percentage is lower, lower um, than he's had some other years as well. But still, you know, that's efficient, but we're dealing with, you know, 100 minutes, 125 minutes. And Money Williams talked about this earlier, like, why is he not staggering Cade and Ivy? Well, he was at the beginning of the year when Ivy was uh, not starting and Killian Hayes was, but now they both start. And the non-Cade, non-Ivy minutes 
pretty ugly. Negative 15.3 net rating, 108 on offense, basically dead last. 123 on defense. Not not too good either, although I don't know that you chalk that up necessarily to Cade and Ivy both being out, other than the fact that you can't score, and that leads to some feedback loops. But that's pretty ugly. With Ivy on, Cade off, how does it look? Better than that. What everyone wants. You go go from a negative 15 net rating to a negative 8. And so that's, you know, that's a, that's a meaningful improvement and something that better than their overall. (laughs) That's true. And, and something that's encouraging is that most of that struggle is actually on the defensive end. They're seventh percentile, 123 defensive rating. They're giving up, you know, 39% on opponent threes. Also, AKA the, uh, the Wiseman minutes. Although I guess a a Eh. lot of these minutes are with Duran too. A A fair amount of them are with Duran. A lot but, of them are with Bogdanovich. A lot of them are with uh, it, uh, Alec Burks. So it's not overall. It's probably not fair to say that either of these lineups are predictive of what's going forward. But it, just as we're evaluating these decisions by by Monty Williams, I think the numbers are relevant. And and so one fifteen offensive rating in that is is credible. I mean, it's it's better than the Pistons, I believe, are doing overall. Yeah, now if you look at Ivy and Cunningham both. Wait, wait, Nate, can I give a quick stat? I just looked this up. I'm like, well, what about what what if you take out the Killian Hayes minutes? You want to guess what their offensive rating goes to? This is with Ivy on, no Hayes. No Hayes, no Cade. Yeah. It's a small sample. We're dealing with under six, uh, five. It's 546 possessions. 124.7 offensive rating. Mm, yeah. I, I mean, when you're, uh, it's as cloudy as this Pistons season, even the slightest small sample size Ray of Shunshine is yeah. worth now, exploring. Now they now are the shooting hand. 43% on threes in that, subs, in that small subset. Meanwhile, Jaden Ivey and Cunningham on. It's only a negative six offensive rating actually pretty or, or sorry uh net rating pretty ex- respectable uh given this piston season and money williams he did say his rationale is hey we don't have any lineup that works if there's any lineup that like looks decent i'm gonna roll with that one and they're actually positive in 220 possessions with their starting lineup uh, of ivk duran fontecchio and asar thompson and they're also positive in, in the other most used lineup which includes two guys who aren't there anymore knox and ed bogdanovich uh, with the iv and Cunningham combo so I'm actually not going to kill Monty Williams as much about that because I mean you want to see you're the number one piece of information you need is probably how Jaden Ivey and Kate Cunningham fit together not whether Jaden Ivey can go crazy on the second unit and shoot as much as he wants I think actually trying to rein Ivey in and getting him to play more as the second option within the team contract is pro and as more of an off-ball guy I think that's really more maybe where his education needs to come from than just hey you're the only scorer just go shoot every time so I, I understand that I, I don't think that it's it's like that's like completely deranged to have a, a all bench unit when you just you have all these young guys Duran is being another one that you kind of want to see together very quietly Danny Cade Cunningham is starting to get it together he started the season terribly obviously the Pistons did also towards the end of the losing streak he started to look better so I picked December 1st I didn't look at this before and I was like that was kind of my memory of like when he started to play better since that time 38% on above the break threes 53% from mid-range on 120 attempts 46% from floater range that's not bad 86% from the free throw line the one thing that really has not looked good other than the turnovers which are of course always a problem for him 59% at the rim even in mm. this period and granted this being one of the worst spaced teams in the league but uh he's 49% contested finishing for the whole season that's that's 59% at the rim since December 1st and of course you know the league average is 
in the 60s mid 60s it's about 65 percent uh now he doesn't get as many uncontested because he's not setting up himself uh, under the basket but i i thought when i've watched him his room reads haven't been that impressive he's kind of still doesn't have a ton of finishing craft i think he still gets a little out of control over commits at the rim rather than you, you don't really see him like gnash under the basket uh because he's not a great finisher or just like slow down even more try to use his power uh, the way someone like luca does even though again luca is 6 8 250 and it's probably you know six six two twenty five, but I, I like he's. I said this when we talked about it the other day that he's not like such a dominating power athlete that he might as well just slow down even more and allow himself to read the floor a little bit more use his big wingspan to get shots off like he's not like gonna just go up over guys even if he does go fast so you might as well go slow uh but that is very encouraging like this is the early numbers were so bad but like 30 he's starting to mature into looking like he could be on path with the jump shot to being the player that we thought he could be coming out of oklahoma state and that's gonna just open up so much uh, for him and you know is that a number one option on a really good offense perhaps not because you know he's just not maybe quite that athletic it doesn't get quite the type of separation but the fact that he's like able to make shots now which he never has done before in his career is very very absolutely who's up next here the orlando magic the magic are 35 and 26 on a nice little roll here six and two in their last eight uh, thanks dan for updating the stats for us to be since uh just over the last two weeks 1.8 excuse me 1.8 net rating is 12th in the nba 23rd on offense fourth on defense uh excuse me what what is that number that that is projected next to what is that seed is that right i'm pulling it up i am agog if this is if this is actually what's being projected uh i have them as the as projected as the five seed they're they're uh portions of a win behind the knicks okay well yeah the knicks who are really struggling up until they're winning in cleveland today but yeah for 48 and 34 basically a tie dead heat for the four seed 96 percent chance of the playoffs and i guess part of the reason for that so BPI is projecting the Magic to go 13 and 6 the rest of the way is they have the easiest remaining schedule in terms of opponent winning percentage 44% and they're playing 11 to 13 right now against teams with losing records uh, they're four games into that stretch and the only games against teams with winning records are New York and Indiana which are teams that I think they can actually beat they're actually 5 and 0 uh, against those teams let's talk about Franz Wagner missed about a month with uh, a pretty bad ankle sprain uh, of course one of the tent poles of this magic team what do you make of his season here so far you and i have talked about some of his efficiency issues this year so i want to do a little bit of digging into like where his shots are coming from and kind of some of the origins of this and so for for wagner the the positive news is that he's converting a career high 56 percent of his twos and doing so on the highest two-point attempt rate of his career and that's largely an uptick of shots around the basket, up to 29% of his total shots, not just his two-point shots. And, you know, he's not taking as many two-point jumpers, but that's never really been a part of Franz Wagner's game. He is making 42% or sorry, 46% of his shots from Florida range. And that that's about what he did his rookie year. There was just a, a you know, second year he was below that. So maybe this is the expectation. I'm not going to say that definitively for sure. Um, 
And I brought up that Wagner doesn't shoot many. He doesn't shoot many long twos. He is only 29% on those long twos. So that's something that's dragging him down. And in a weird way, dragging dragging down a guy's efficiency a little bit when he has a career high from two, that's kind of a good thing because it's like, well, okay, it's not that everything is going well. Yeah, I'd like it to go a little better. <laughs> now, well, I, I especially mean, the because of what it ties into that we'll talk about. Well, well the, the bigger thing, too, is that he doesn't really even take them. And granted, the Magic with through Paolo and Franz and in particular are a team that really assaults the basket. He's been solid there. I mean, he 56% contested finishing. That number has actually gone up quite a bit since the start of the season when he wasn't finishing quite as well at the basket. And he just he takes some of the more difficult rim attempts at the league when you consider the, their lack of spacing, the fact that he'll just challenge anybody. So I, that's that, of course, is very encouraging. But I just and the three pointer is like only OK. It, it really he just has not gotten to the point where that's just like a massive threat for him but if you're talking about him being a guy who you know in theory is going to be on a max contract soon like is his current offense of just like you know really good attacking the basket good in transition can make an open three but it's going to be tough for him to get his usage higher than where he what's his usage at right now the basketball reference version indeed yeah just the scoring usage 26.1 yeah so that's pretty good that's like that's actually a little higher than i would have thought that it would be um now yeah, i mean he again, he's attempting yeah. 17 shots from the field per 36 minutes yeah so but he's also gonna even if you shoot a lot at the rim you still got to figure out how to get to the line a little bit more than the four and a half per game and you know he kind of has more of this euro stepping step around you sort of movement than power game attack the guy's shoulder get fouled he's not a guy who has a ton of the tricks other than he, he'll do like the low sweep uh the hardened move but other than that he doesn't have a ton of tricks to get to the to the foul line but just the complete lack of any kind of a mid-ranger where if you switch him like how is he unless he has the size advantage how is he going to create a shot if you kind of lay off and wait for him at the basket i i would just i we've talked about this some with Giannis too but i just i want him to have like and the three-pointer is more important because franz is more of an off-ball guy than Giannis. but i want him to have enough of a mid-ranger where it at least is going to get respected right where it can set up the rest of his game and he can generate some shots late in the clock and that's if you're really predicting like superstardom for him the fact that that is just completely absent in his game is a little troubling again noting that like this guy's gonna be on a max contract like he's a really really good player but it, as if you talk about what him really you know breaking into like true all-star level or like you know all nba consideration it's tough to see him getting there without that aspect to his game it is and good that the, wagner's yeah. converting 85 percent of his free throws but as you mentioned yeah. four and a half per game you'd, you'd really like to see that up and one of my concerns about wagner is well, one of uh, the theory that I have is that the, what the Magic need is they need a best offensive player, and then that can put especially Wagner. I, I think of him more than Paolo Bencaro in some positions where you like you take out the worst shots in his diet, and you can do that. And one one measure of that is that Franz Wagner takes two pull up threes per game, and he's shooting twenty seven and a half percent on those. That like that's a pretty yeah. That's weak something percent. we've talked about before too. Yeah. That he really like, and and it's also like his contested three point shooting has, and that of course dovetails with mm-hmm. shooting off the dribble. But that's For something sure. that he also has struggled. And, and so, if you could theoretically excise 
some or all of those shots like that that would make Wagner a more efficient player one of the concerns though and you could say the surroundings are a little bit a part of this is that you know he's shooting 33 percent on catch and shoot threes so far this year and the good news is that he was over 40 percent last year so if the truth lies closer to the high 30s rather than the low 30s then the kind of complementary game could fit together better and you could argue that switching the sample a little bit if you can get there would be a good thing for Wagner but yeah I mean if we're evaluating him as a max player one of one of my concerns is that like he he already is a part of a successful defense but if his best role is probably you know part of a successful defense but not the reason the defense is successful and probably best as a second or third me you know he could be second with a better number one or third with you know in a kind of a different or paradigm offensive player and it's like yeah. gen- and, and when he's going to be on a max contract in all likelihood like that's when these concerns start to matter like it, now, exactly yeah as much as I, I know windows likes to call this max the fun max but you're still kind of and also when you consider that Orlando's going to try to use some cap space now but they still have these extensions coming and and that Paulo and that Paulo kicks yeah. in a year later yeah yeah I mean so if you're hey these two guys are both going to be on max contracts then you, this is another reason why I'm like yeah they really should trade for Anthony Simons because he would just give them and again now it takes two to tango there but he would give them because he's cost controlled you know, or even DeJounte Murray would be another one too although I, I want more of a bomber than Murray but that's that would to me like be a good use of their cap space because it locks in like you want if you're going to pay Franz as a third offensive option like he's your second best player it'd be nice to have your second offensive option paid like a third best player and so being able to lock that in would be important anything else on him I mean when you look at Wagner's over like his synergy stats I mean they are running a lot of pick and roll through him and the pick and roll score numbers aren't terrible you know about 0.9 a little bit below 0.9 points per possession there and that's just his score that doesn't include passes and the spot up numbers aren't great, but we talked about why that is. Is the spot up three isn't isn't that strong? And I mean, only eighty five isolation possessions that ended in either a either a shot attempt or a turnover. Like eight point two percent of his possessions. That's actually maybe a little bit lower than you'd expect for somebody who has done some real heavy lifting for the Magic, but they just do it in a little bit of a different way. Let's finish up today's show, and we'll get to the rest of these tomorrow morning with the Toronto Raptors. Yes, and we'll talk about their news as well. The Raps are 23 and 38 on the season, 4 and 4 since last 1560. Their negative 3.1 net rating is 23rd in the NBA. Um, They're below average on both offense and defense, 19th and 21st, respectively. BPI projects them to finish 20 games under 500, 31 and 51, which is 12th in the NBA or 12th in the Eastern Conference in the NBA, because I've talked about this with that WAPO. This would put them with the seventh worst record, and that would be four games clear currently of the Memphis Grizzlies, who are in the sixth spot. So in terms of keeping their pick, not fantastic there. Still 1% chance of making the playoffs, though. You talked about how player availability might not be fully accounted for there, and that is going to be a part of the story for the Raptors, unfortunately, for maybe the remainder of the year, maybe a little bit less than that. Yeah, Scotty Barnes fractured the third metacarpal, so uh, in his left hand, kind of a freak play where Emmanuel quickly was trying to contest a shot with him and and they just uh, collided. Third metacarpal is, of course, uh, going to prevent him from flipping anybody off, you would think, for at least a little while. Or or he's Uh, constantly doing it, one or the other. Yeah, he's the uh, the guy that uh, George Costanza <laughs> decided to follow out in the country. 
in Seinfeld. Um, but yeah, the, the metacarpal is actually like in the hand though. It's not the finger, but obviously attached to the finger. So this is looking like maybe a month or so injury. Will they be completely out of it by that point? Hard to say. I think it'll be kind of an interesting test to me of like how good Scotty Barnes is to see how they play without him. Obviously he made the all-star team this year. They don't play any better when he's on the floor versus off in terms of his net rating. Uh, he's supposed to be out indefinitely and Jakob Pertl dislocated his left pinky in their victory over charlotte on sunday didn't return interested to see how long it takes him to come back that was right at the end of the first half so kelly Olynyk started the second half and they've really struggled with kelly Olynyk on the floor negative 18.1 net rating in 86 minutes uh, as you might expect, they are really bad on defense with him at center 119.6 defensive rating. You know, that's like basically bottom five type of level in the league, but uh, only a 101 on offense. Again, this is 186 minutes. I didn't dive into that too much, but it is noteworthy. I talked about this the other day that Olenek has had the most success really playing the four to have someone to back him up on the defensive end and then you know playing some zone and stuff like trying to hide him. It's easier to hide him on the perimeter than it is at center and so I imagine he's probably going to start. We'll see how long Pirtle is going to be out, but no Barnes either as a room protector. Now this team has absolutely zero room protection whatsoever. You know, Jonte Porter is probably going to play again at, at, in more of a stretch alignment. Looking at what they decided to do in terms of their perimeter rotation, they actually went and started Ochai who was 6 of 20 from the field, and he took 13 twos <laughs> and also was uh, tied for a game best plus 14. I would got to go back and watch the film of this one uh this happened we did most of the research on it oh nate, nate i don't think you're gonna go back and watch a raptors hornets game that that i mean i'll, I'll be impressed if you do it no i'll just i just want to watch a uh, abaji's shot oh i want to see okay, how sure. the hell he generated uh he put five five of 13 from two that i will guy buy. that i will buy that you will that buy. that i'm pretty interested to see so the jordan wara entered the rotation playing 18 minutes off the bench uh they signed a someone named dj carton who played 12 minutes at guard uh jalen mcdaniels and chris boucher still not in the rotation i think those are just straight dnps even with all the injuries that they had so that'll be interesting to watch what happens here in terms of what's already occurred we talked about rj barrett now he's able to find some more efficiency because he's been working more off the ball more catching the ball more on the move in darker Ryakovich's system emmanuel quickly 55 percent true shooting that's been trending up a little bit shooting 42 percent on threes as a raptor and that's even with ever more of his shots coming above the break I, I thought in the game against dallas which they did lose i thought the way he was being deployed coming off of flare screens more as an off-ball shooter taking some quick deep shots it was encouraging he's shooting it very well there rest of his game though danny has not been as good as it was when he was the the primary initiator of the second unit in new york free throw attempt rate is down from 4.7 per 36 to 3.2 per 36 but the more distressing unless you want to say it's just small sample size prone for regression manual quickly has been most of his like his recent years he's been around 
50% on twos, you know, that that's an improvement went from 40% up to 50%. He's at 41% so far in 820 minutes as a Raptor. Yeah. And then haven't really been too effective with him in the lineup. Negative 4.2 net rating, kind of about what you would expect. They're nine and 16 when quickly has played. When Barrett has played, they are eight and 15. Both have missed uh, time with Barrett as a knee issue. I can't remember what it was for quickly to miss a couple of games. Negative uh, 3.5 net rating with Barrett. So they're kind of right about the level of team with these guys on the floor that you would expect given the records uh, and that obviously is quite disappointing so i mean as you watch barrett and quickly play they look like kind of the same guys they don't look like they're playing terribly like their stats aren't awful other than quickly's two point percentage he's been driving a little bit less per minute in toronto than he was uh, in new york i'm not going to say that toronto has like much worse spacing than the, the knicks teams he was playing on did although those second units with josh hart at the four when he was there maybe had a little bit more so you know, i'm not sure what to make of it I, like they've looked like the players i hope they would be they just haven't been able to play well enough they have had some absences but like nothing totally crazy necessarily the starting lineup though has actually been really good with quickly trent barrett barnes and Pirtle. but with barnes out for a while we're not gonna see much i mean they're just gonna be really small right now I, i'm just not sure mm-hmm. how they're gonna stop anybody and if we're talking about them getting back into the play-in mix they as of right now are what three games behind the nets or sorry three games behind the hawks and also have the nets in between them so they're projecting for 12 they project to win 31 games which you know the hawks 34 like it's not if they were totally healthy they might still have a chance to go for the 10th seed but then of course there's also this top six protected pick and do they try to get below some of these other teams will the injuries just do that for them it's i don't know how the organization is going to handle this exactly or maybe they'll just keep losing regardless but they probably needed to lose this game to charlotte if they were <laughs> if they were uh, going to get down there I, I i'm just not sure uh, how what to root for as a raptor if you're a raptors fan do you want to just shut everyone down do you want quickly a barrett to play well do you want to just get this obligation over with this year and what's supposed to be a shitty draft I don't know. I, for the record, I think you do because I mean, so I had to. So, so you would you want to? You're saying tank or don't tank? I think I think you're okay losing the pick this year. So, like, I, first of all, I don't think they can get all the way. I, they can get all the way down there. I mean, those the bottom teams are pretty pretty deep there. So, like for example, yeah. BPI right now. So my my general rule has been in order to feel confident that you're keeping this pick, it's top six projected. You have to get to the fifth worst record. Right now per BPI, the Portland Trailblazers, and you will see some flukiness with this. You'll see some of these go up just because the end of the year, some teams won't be trying. Right now, the Portland Trailblazers are projected to finish the year with 22.6 wins. The Toronto Raptors currently have 23, so it will be hard to necessarily get to five. And then at six, you have a chance. Like it's not like it's zero or anything like that. It's just that if anybody, you know, if anybody jumps you, if you don't move up, then there's a pretty decent chance that somebody jumps you, and then you move into the seven. And considering this is not the greatest class, the what's so funny is the way that you would argue this the other way. To me, the most compelling argument for retaining the pick is if you think the Raptors are going to be one of the five worst teams next year, because then at that point, then it doesn't really matter if the obligation extends, if you go over that, but it's not only like the likelihood of that, but also the, 
you know, the the scenarios where you are better than that and everything else. So so for me, I'd be fine losing it this year. Yeah, and also worth noting, Memphis had a couple of key losses in back-to-back games to Portland over the weekend mm-hmm. as well. And they're now three games behind Toronto. 20 wins, Toronto is 23. That's a great point. All right, well, this was a fun trip through the East. We got more to get to, of course, tomorrow catch up on the rest of the news and all the rest of the teams uh, as well and of course we have a big week coming up here and start getting into our position rankings i think a lot's Mm -hmm. gonna have changed i would imagine since we last did this a year ago as we work up to our top 10 players in the nba later this month which should be a lot of fun as well dan is probably crunching the numbers on the spreadsheets as we speak and of course we will use those and and uh, on our cap sheets this is another thing that dan did was he just updated everything to have the ages and position ranking available on each team's salary sheet as well for downtown prime subscribers so those are a little bit out of date right now so I look pretty dumb being a year ago so i'm looking forward to getting all those updated and, and making the spreadsheet look better because that's that's what we live for here on downtown prime we'll talk to y'all tomorrow reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil 